Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. And welcome to the Babylon Project, our last best hope for trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5, featuring three friends wandering through the wilderness of season 5. My name is Justin, and here to help me along are my co-hosts, Jude and Anna. Jude, Anna, how you doing? I, I'm personally wondering whether whether we can officially call it a wasteland that we're wandering through at this point. I'm calling it a wilderness because it occasionally there are gems. Um... I don't know. Well, like, okay, here's a good question. Maybe what, desert what? is the right metaphor. Because in a desert, it's a it's a desolation pocked with the rare oasis to refresh you. And I feel like that's an apt metaphor for season five so far. I mean, it's like that or the vast emptiness of space. <laughs> well, if you want to be on the nose. Uh, <laughs> how are you actually doing, Anna? <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing okay. Um, you know, the the standard um shrug well gesturing vaguely at the world. Yeah, that's about where I am. Cool. Plus cool. parenting during the pandemic. I honestly don't have a funny question to ask her to ask for you because uh this is like my this is my third recording in a week and uh you know shrug. <laughs> you mean you're not excited about Phoenix Rising? That did not just stimulate all your little neurons to uh, come up with a funny, funny question. I'm happy Byron is leaving the show. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Honestly, uh, we'll get into it. I have thoughts on that subject. We'll get into it. Oh, don't tell me he comes back. (laughs) We'll get into it. All right. Um, Yeah, we're covering two episodes tonight, folks. Uh, Those are episodes 11 and 12 of season five. Phoenix Rising and the Jagged Edge. Justin, you've got Phoenix Rising. Take us away. Thanks, me. Um, episode, uh, yeah, we're doing season five, episode 11, Phoenix Rising, written by J. Michael Straczynski, directed by David J. Eagle. 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 That joke will never get old. Nope. All right. We start our episode with Bester briefing his bloodhound units on Bester briefing bloodhounds. Uh, That's a good tongue twister. <laughs> yeah. All right. We start with Bester briefing his bloodhound units on the situation and explains the crimes and situations with the two groups of telepaths, those in down below and those who have seized weapons on the station and are running about. Bester emphasizes that they want to minimize casualties and bring uh, the telepaths in alive so they can correct these roves. And he wants this resolved by tomorrow. Luckily walks in after the meeting is done and she asks if Bester enjoys this. Fester says, well, this is his job, and he enjoys being good at what he does. And he insists that Psychor, even in their brutality, is better than other alternatives for handling rogue telepaths. As they walk to a lift, and Bester explains that he just wants to help the rogues understand, they find that their elevator already has an occupant, a bloodhound who is actually crucified under a graffitied Free Byron. Byron contacts Lockley and Sheridan, and Sheridan expresses that the situation has gotten out of control. Wow, you just picked that up, Johnny? Uh, Byron states that he can stop the violence, and but the Psychor need to leave. Bester barges in, and he says that it's over. Byron says that there are other ways, and cuts off the transmission. Lita asks what Bester means when he mentions that Byron breaks his promises, but Byron brushes it off. Sheridan asks if Lockley's seen Garibaldi, but... Garibaldi has disappeared since Bester came on board. I'm sure that's nothing. <laughs> As it turns out, Garibaldi is in fact lying in wait for Bester to hold him at gunpoint. He tells Bester to record a f- full confession, but Bester refuses. Garibaldi says he'll kill him, and Bester believes it, so he invites Garibaldi to shoot him, proving that he has in fact, like, cojones the size of Deimos. <laughs> well, or confidence in his abilities. Yeah. yeah. Garibaldi can't. 
And Vester, Vester asks him how stupid Garibaldi thinks he is. He explains that he has implanted Asimov's rules in Garibaldi to prevent him from hurting Vester, <laughs> which I cannot express how funny it is that a man named Alfred Bester has put Asimov's laws in an enemy. <laughs> Bester walks out and Garibaldi impotently shoots the Babcock unit. Uh, I think Garibaldi Lita, does a lot of impotent shooting. Lita and Byron talking down below and Lita again <laughs> inquires about what Bester meant about breaking his promises. Byron shrugs it off, saying that it's not an answer that Lita wants to hear. She insists that she's going to hear it. Byron explains that he is a P-12, which means he was a Psy-Cop. Not only that, he was Bester's protege. And he was, until he grew a conscience after Bester ordered him to blow up a transport that was smuggling telepaths. He left the psy after that. But he did blow up the transport. Yes, he did. Across the station, some of the telepaths are in a firefight! I'm sorry, we're <laughs> referencing Boondock Saints here. This is how low this season has gotten. Okay, yes. I I mean, I don't feel like firefight a la... Oh, uh, me, doing the, me doing the Willem Dafoe thing. That's, yeah, that's, the Willem that's Dafoe weird. firefight reference tra- has transcended uh, Boondock Saints. That is a moment that has become like... Be, that has moved beyond its original source material. Anyway, sorry. Continue. No, no. Understandable. They run across MedLab where they decide, hey... There's a bunch of people here, and they decide to take Garibaldi, Franklin, and the medical staff hostage. They send demands to Sheraton to release Byron and let them go to neutral territory, or they'll start killing the hostages. In MedLab, Franklin tries to stop them from moving a, a telepath patient who's in bad condition. Hey, remember that weird kid from like a couple episodes ago who got hate mobbed? Yep. That's him. I just realized that now. Telekinesis guy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I just I didn't realize that while I was watching the episode. I recognized that when I was reading my own summary. <laughs> <laughs> my brain works in dumb ways. But uh Franklin tries to stop them from moving this kid, but uh that just riles up the leader of the group, Thomas. Thomas eventually moves out to the hallway where he starts like chucking microwaves at the security team that comes to try and rush Med Lab. I have like, so many thoughts about this scene. It's uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. And Sheridan Lockley discussed the situation. Earth is stalling on giving an answer on whether Bester has to pull out. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> Lita and <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was like, I read it, and then I'm like, I'm going to see if I can. Nope, nope. Not going to let me. I'm pretty sure it's against the rules in Psycor <laughs> to pull out. Meanwhile, Lita and Byron find a safe passage out of their spotted dablo to get to bed lab, featuring some very dubious, unexplained uses of telepathy. And Garibaldi tries to reason with the rogue telepaths to de-escalate the situation. As Garibaldi is trying to, like, wind them down, say, Sheridan will give, Sheridan will give you what you need, just need to give him time. Sheridan shoots a message down to bed lab as law. Well, we do not negotiate with terrorists. And that they will use lethal force to bring the telepaths down. As Thomas is about to shoot Garibaldi, he is shot by Byron. Ah! Byron then sends a message to Lockley and Sheridan saying he will release the hostages in exchange for being able to resolve the crisis. If they are allowed to st- surrender to station security personnel, not Psychor, they will stand down. Lockley agrees to that. Uh, Byron can go to Downlow to resolve this with his people. Bester then barges into, like, the command office to say that they don't have the right. But since this violence was directed at station personnel, they have jurisdiction. Byron provides identity cards and side confessions for each of the people committed to violence. And down below, Bester sends telepathic messages to Byron, and he leaves his people to investigate. Bester pleads for him not to do this, but Byron says that they have to change this. Byron, however, is using this to get a fix on his location and assembles a team to take Byron. As Byron is surrendering, Bester shows up, shows up, and this spooks the telepaths. A firefight starts, and Byron is shot. He insists they can't go back now. He takes up a PPG and tells Lita to leave. He then shoots a weird dripping chemical on the floor that ignites him and his followers in a mass suicide. Dacian personnel clean up the bodies. Bester expresses confusion to Sheridan that they weren't supposed to fight each other. Franklin comes to Sheridan and expresses concern that he can't fight Garibaldi. As the remaining telepaths leave, Lita says that she's had Byron's memory of their state houses and contacts and secrets, and that they will begin again. 
As Garibaldi returns to his apartment, he pours himself a drink as news of the Psycorps' headquarters bombing comes in the news. He takes a drink. And that's the end of the telepaths! I have so many. There's so much about this episode that just feels like JMS being like, oh, fuck it. Like, so much of this plot feels like he's just done with this and just wants it over with. There are so many inexplicably bad narrative choices. Yeah. One of them being that, I mean, he wrote himself into a corner potentially with, you know, the the last episode of season four references, you know, a hostage situation with telepaths and yeah. med lab. I mean, he, he puts the entire scene in there and they read uh, either it's the same scene or they reshoot it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, you know, there is no way to kind of write your way out of it and have a different have things go a different way you're yeah. locked mm-hmm. into this buddy so here's my central beef with the te- the way the telepath thing ends i don't hate byron i think as a character i like byron and i even aside from a few egregious moments like the willow speech i actually even like the actor but the way they set up his arc in terms of like his backstory and the whole way they wrap up his story with like oh i'm just gonna randomly martyr myself and demand a home world like everything about the way the middle of this plot works but his backstory and the way that they set it up and the way that they end it doesn't and i hate that and then Lita getting weird powers all of a sudden. Like, there's just so much narrative. Like, it's really bizarre. I could go on for like a half an hour about all the ways this episode is got more plot holes than a goddamn spider web. It when just- they're like thinking their way through the air ducts. Yeah. And it's like, it's just hello. God, when they could have used that in literally every episode with a telepath and half a dozen other ones every season. It's it's truly like, where did this come from? Yeah. Ugh. Or let's go with how did Lita, the ostensibly the greater telepath, not take apart Bester's backstory like a handful of Legos? He's reading her backstory like a book and she's just like not reading him. She's like a P-14 or something like that. I I really hate that, like... Oh, so, yeah, yeah. And it goes beyond even just that she is super powerful and should have been able to, like, figure this out. But it's like, okay, Byron, you've, like, you know, put her in an orange juicer to get the backstory out. And now it's like, oh, no, my backstory, it's too mysterious and sad. You can't know it. Yeah, she's a goddamn alien experiment. Your moral quandary that, like, Probably half your followers have been through a version of is mm-hmm. goddamn unsalted potatoes, bland, boring motherfucker. <sighs> I, I just. Ugh. I hate their relationship. Yeah. yeah. I think my thing is just like Byron on paper could be like has potential, but he is just so goddamn uninteresting. Yeah. I like the small moments with him in the middle, but. The yeah. setup and the ending, I don't like. I like him when he's like at, when he when he's like interacting individually, like and helping people. But as like a leader, he is just such a snooze. His idea of building a, te- a society for telepaths and the way he demonstrates that, I like. But as a leader, yeah, he kind of drops the ball. Like I think it could have been interesting if, like, say we gave this. The, the the what it deserved which is truly that byron should be like could be like a counselor for telepaths and like helping as like i don't know like a social worker leader meanwhile the person who should be handling like the actual diplomacy and leadership it should be lita <laughs> yeah like, it should be lita they don't need a byron in this, this is story the part that is like 
completely infuriating for me in this entire plot line. Like the the way I would have loved to see, like Byron comes onto the station with all of his telepaths. He encounters Lita, and it's like, holy shit! Wow, you are one thousand times more qualified to run this movement than I am. Um, let me be your number one. Yeah, please. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. There is no way to parse the fact that they needed to bring in Byron and did not simply make Lita the head of this thing, other than uh patriarchy or yeah. misogyny however whichever side of the coin you want to you want to flip it to um i also super duper super duper duper super duper hate bester in this episode and not in the 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 fun like this is the super well acted villain way although i do he does get a moment of that in the scene with garibaldi which is the highlight of the episode yeah that scene with garibaldi and bester is the only redeeming part of this entire episode. His incredulity, he shows up and fucks up this whole exchange, violating God knows how many laws, gets all these people killed, and then it's like, gee williker, I can't believe that these telepaths would die rather than go with me. Okay. Bitch, one. Bester is not an idiot. Bester is very, very well aware that Psychor does some fucked up things, and there are a lot of people that would rather die than stay in Psychor. Like, this is a thing that he's discussed with other people on this show. He's taunted people with it. Yeah. Two, I get that they're, uh, as we will discuss next episode when we talk, when we uh, cover Cora's mother, Cora's father, he has this idea of like the chorus family and it's all it's all about family but that's not something we've ever gotten into here and it's a level of it's naivete that is not at all established in this character and feels super unearned in this episode. oh no i have i have a much simpler answer for this this is performance for sheridan nah i, I no, mean the, that's, no, that's, I, that's, an, that's entirely what i think this is like even even after this he is expressing like he is expressing tragedy through the most PR lensed and performative way that he possibly can. I did not pick I mean, I, I hope that it's that. I did not get that. That's at how all. I read that. I I would hope that would be a much more satisfying explanation than JMS is trying to land the the notes that he knows he's going to be writing for bester in the next episode in two episodes or whatever in Cora's mother Cora's father and just doesn't telegraph them right yeah no i to- i totally think this is performance for well, yeah. yeah i hope so because i maybe i just read well, it wrong and partly i'm i think i'm kind of halfway in between those two i think that there's a certain amount of performance but i think that it's also sloppily written that i think we actually yeah. could have done with another bastard bester scene that if we'd had one more scene like we had with garibaldi um like behind closed doors with sheridan being like i i don't even know how it would exactly go but i think bester is plausibly reacting to sheridan being in a different position and i think bester probably doesn't want the alliance uh looking too closely at Psychor these days that Sheridan's Sheridan's in a new position. The Alliance doesn't have any. Uh, apparently, the Alliance just can't do jack shit about Psychor. Yeah, let's just not touch the the absolute insanity that is the Alliance. The Alliance's inability to uh, police its member states when it comes to human rights abuses, for lack of a better term. <sighs> yeah, because like. You know, Bester could Bester could be legitimately concerned, though, that there will be, you know, a dozen Mimbari warships that show up on his ass and are like, well, you know, you are interfering with the rights of all these people to form their own colony. So, yeah, we can attempt to take this episode <laughs> apart all we want, but the the bottom line with this episode is that it's just bad the telepath storyline in summary 
is ambitious in concept and a wet fart in execution. The whole, yeah, I, I don't have a better summary than that. Ambitious in 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 conception, wet fart in execution, and I'm glad it's over. But I'm also irritated with how how it was ended. I mean, for for what it is, it's it's a story that going a forward, like looking behind the curtain, weird. I'm a couple episodes ahead. It doesn't have any real consequences. No, it's it's, it's an eleven episode arc that ends in. Being tucked, it be it being tucked away with everybody important involved with it dying. Yeah, all of the problematic telepaths are dead now, or gone off the station. Lita goes back to not like an ambiguous thing with the cause. Byron said that telekinetic is dead. Yeah, it, it's everybody. Yeah. Everybody of consequence related to the story who's introduced is dead, and we can pack it away, and uh, we don't have to think about it again. All right, let's talk about the only two scenes in this. Sh- episode worth talking about and then move on to an episode that's marginally better (laughs) one uh apparently you can fend off a swat team with a bucket of wrenches i didn't know that i didn't know that that's good to know if i ever feel like holding up holding an insurrection of some kind i can just throw a you know handheld junkyard parts at a swat team and i can and they'll run away as if i have somehow i don't know threatened them in some way I feel like maybe that guy would have just been shot a lot because he's not even undercover. He's just sort of limply hanging there, bleeding out while this is going on. But yeah, apparently a bucket of wrenches is enough to keep. Who knows? Maybe telekinetics can stop PPG rounds. Yeah, who knows? (laughs) Maybe Zach should, uh, whatever the, I don't know. Maybe Zach should just take a wrench to the shoulder and go shoot this guy and and finish it up. Uh, and second, I think we can all agree that the only scene in this show in this episode actually worth watching is uh, watching Bester taunt Garibaldi, which is legitimately great television. Oh yeah, no, yeah. it's great. It, it, it's Koenig is so good in that scene. He is so fucking smug. He is so it's, smug. It's the bester we know and love. Like, we've had such a yeah. bland bester this season where he's just like, oh, I'm just doing my job. Yeah. And, like, now we see the snarky bastard again. Yeah. I love, uh, he's just so good. And he is, and I love seeing Garibaldi tormented. I love how much it eats at Garibaldi. <laughs> I, I mean, I have more thoughts about where Garibaldi's story is going, which we'll talk about in a moment here. But I love how much it eats at Garibaldi that he just got completely owned in this situation. Just he's just totally just totally what you think I didn't have a plan for this, which is yeah. yeah. You think I would turn a nutter like you loose on the galaxy and not have a plan? Please. Like, I took advantage of the fact that you're a vindictive bastard. Don't you think I would have prepared, like, protected myself against the fact that you're a vindictive bastard? A vindictive, paranoid, sociopathic bastard. Those were the things I liked about you for this project. (laughs) Why would I not compensate for that? Yeah. 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 All right. Let's move on Uh, from this garbage episode. I I do have another couple of notes. um, Sure, please. for, For very quick things. Lockley's line of, like... You enjoy this, don't you, Bester? Uh, I've got a note of takes one to no one. Yeah, Nazi. Um, uh, and, oh, God. Spe- speaking of Lita and Byron. So the, ne- the the other thing that we didn't cover with the Byron backstory thing is all of the other telepaths know about his backstory. It's just Lita who doesn't, yeah. which is even more fucked up. And... It, okay, has there ever been a point in the narrative? Has there been a single point when, given the option, somebody has done right by Lita? Listeners, if you could think of a time that somebody, other than the Zach time brought that her a Zach pizza, brought her pizza. <laughs> we both went like, there. There's but, a pizza, but, but, but he really just narrative? wanted to Netflix and chill. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, with yeah, and that was dubious. Yeah, like. Has the narrative or goddamn anybody in this show treated her with an ounce of respect? Like, I'm sorry. I'm too much of an X-Men fan to... Original Kosh. 
Original Kosh, yes. I mean, still modified her extensively physically. So, yeah, but he you know, did it with, he was, but he treated her as like a an attache. He didn't, yeah, I, I mean, he took advantage of her, but he also treated her with respect, I think. I'm just saying, as an X-Men fan, I can't deal with a female character like this just being completely just like, I don't know. It's been like two whole years that she's yeah. been dragged like this. No, it's bad. It's real bad. And and on that note, there's that scene where Byron's like, Lita, you have to be strong for me. When does Lita get to be strong for her, huh? Yeah. Uh, Lita's storyline might be the biggest travesty of Babylon 5. And I think the thing that I will be watching the new show most closely for is if they have a, a Lita S character, do they do right by that character or do yeah. they have another punching bag telepath that just gets shat on by everyone around them? Maybe JMS has figured out how to actually use a telepath in the narrative and not just like, so I have not read it because I refuse because right now I'm refusing to consume anything by J. Michael Shinsky that is not Babylon Five and will probably never again. I mean, just yeah, but no, that's fair. But um, he has a comic called Telepath. Tel- yes, right I was about to bring this up. He has a let's see how how many. It, oh my god, it's available on Comicsology Unlimited. I can, <laughs> I can I can theoretically read this for subscription fee that I pay like six bucks a month for there are five issues of it we might have to assign this to you as homework justin i refuse (laughs) i'm looking at just like one of the covers i don't like the art style of those covers i do not like it. it's the same style that they that he had for um one of his older comics he i think it's It's, the same artist that he got for rising stars for some of the rising stars covers and it's this weird semi-photorealistic style the interiors are better. I will say that. Like, um, I wouldn't say that it's a style that I particularly love, but it like it like it, it's it's much better. It like it, it's not that photorealistic style. It's like realistic, but not like or it, it's like a realistic figures, but like yeah. not photorealistic. Where you, where like some artists, I could tell their tra- I could tell who they're tracing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're not naming days of the show. This is not a comics podcast. Yeah. Uh. Um, All right, but you could not. You could not get me to read this. I'm sorry. You just you couldn't. Maybe I'll Google a summary and tell and and tell you next episode or the one after that. Or just do the the Comicsology Unlimited trial subscription. I mean, I've got a Comicsology Unlimited subscription. I could read it, but I I, I can't. I don't want to waste my brain on actually reading the comics. I feel like I just want <laughs> someone to tell me what happens. So um, I, I'm reading the summary, and it's. And it looks like this is particularly following the newly telepathic Boston police. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there we go. That's that's my opinion on that. Get an X out of that. Yeah. Uh, if I'm going to read about like the emergence of telepathy, I'll go read the Psychor novels, which are about the emergence of telepathy in the B5 universe. Anything else we want to talk about for this? God, no. No, just I think we have three people here reviewing it as fart noise that wave. <laughs> yeah. I, I apologize to Aaron's ears for my actual fart noise. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's good who, Foley, though. Next up, season five, episode 12, The Ragged Edge. Whoever has that, I go ahead. Take it away. That, would be, that would be me. Uh, and I was legitimately relatively succinct for me uh in this summary i'm only marginally longer than your summary justin so how about them apples uh the ragged edge written by jms directed by john copeland we begin our episode with a steamy scene in the president's quarters where we find john doing one of delenn's favorite things paperwork he's complaining about this paperwork while signing treaties and not paying attention to her hot Every Minbari hybrid woman's dream right there. Uh, Delenn does her best flirt, joking about committing a war crime. But John's pretty fixated on his bureaucratic nonsense and doesn't even notice until she's out of the room. When he finally finishes the paperwork, not, you know, 
The other thing, I don't think it was that good of a flirt. He hustles off to the council room, only to find that it's empty. Delenn informs him that they're being boycotted until they can show some progress solving the raider problems. John grumps, as is his main thing this season, and muses, if only they knew who was behind the attacks, they could get somewhere. Yes, John, that is generally how these things happen. If you know who's committing a crime, you can do something about it. Cut to an Earth transport being attacked as a man fights back in a shockingly Millennium Falcon-esque gun pod uh, and then gets into an escape pod and shoots himself away. Back on B5, Zack wakes up Garibaldi from a drunken stupor at 10 in the morning to check in and ask why he missed their morning meeting and make sure he won't miss the one that Delenn is requesting. Garibaldi snarks at him but is lacking his usual snarl, probably because he's hung the fuck over and he slings an empty bottle of what Lurker's Guide tells me is Afterburner brand whiskey onto the bed before heading out. In said meeting, Delenn has good news. The Rangers have brought word of the survivor in the escape pod, but there's a catch. He was smuggling some kind of illegal goods for the Drazi, so the Drazi government will never admit to knowing him, much less help finding him uh, on, the off, on the off chance that he can incriminate them. Garibaldi volunteers to go to the Drazi homeworld and find him, since he knows a guy there who works in security. He also rejects Sheridan's idea that he bring his boyfriend for backup, which seems to really offend Franklin, so much so that he interrupts Garibaldi's condescending lecture to Zack about how to do the job he's been doing fine without Garibaldi's help already, to have a quick relationship check-in, asking if they're okay. All jokes aside, this conversation sounds like the one you have after an awkward fight with your partner to check in on the status of your relationship. Fight me if I'm wrong. It a hundred percent is. He says like three times, are we okay? I'm just saying, I'm just saying. (laughs) Garibaldi assures him that they are and that they'll have date night when he gets back. Franklin doesn't look convinced and tells Garibaldi as he leaves that if he ever needs to talk about anything, Garibaldi gives him the usual dismissal, and then he's gone. He arrives on the Drazi homeworld, next to a barfing Drazi, and gets to his hotel room where he meets his security contact, an old friend named Tafik. They banter a, uh, banter a bit. Then Tafik tells him the plan, which involves the smuggler signaling the balcony from the park below. He also, unfortunately, brings a bottle of local booze, which looks a lot, almost distressingly, like Midori, uh, I don't know about you, but I've been in mistake-making age and drunk Midori recreationally and not like be- out of obligation because somebody handed me a drink with it in it. I've only ever drink. I've only ever drink a Midori out of like when it was in something else. I don't recommend it drinking it any other way. Certainly not pounding the entire bottle like these two idiots do. Yeah. Um, he and Garibaldi polish off the bottle and by the time... Uh, Tafik leaves to arrange Garibaldi's travel back to B5 with the smuggler. Garibaldi is completely passed the fuck out like a big sweaty walrus on a on a lawn chair out on the balcony. So much so that he does not hear when Tafik is shot in the hall right outside Garibaldi's door. Garibaldi w- wakes up sometime later uh, in time to get laser pointered, I mean precision signal lighted, and rushes out to meet the smuggler stumbling into Tafik and, presumably, the Drazi who shot him. After a brief scuffle, during which Baldi flips the Drazi over the balcony, uh, and is spotlighted, he is spotlighted by a drone. He rushes out of his hotel room to try and get to the smuggler, per Tafik's dying words, just in time to hear his dying scream. Garibaldi does some idiot-ass action movie, pointless diving shooting move. I fucking hate this move. It's so dumb. Literally untouched by anyone, he just decides to throw himself into a dive in the street while shooting. (laughs) It's fine. Not mad. He gets his ass completely the fuck beat, but he does manage to somehow rip a button off the clothes of whoever has killed the smuggler before they flee. He in turn flees as well uh, before the Drazi police show up, uh, including the Drazi that he threw off a balcony. I'm not clear on what happened there. The Drazi just like pulls himself up up from the balcony he was thrown off of and is like fine and shows up. Maybe he landed on a lower floor. I don't know. I I this whole this whole section of this episode 
just like did not imprint itself deeply in my brain, <laughs> even though I was literally writing the summary as I was watching it. It it's not great. Um, Baldy manages to get a call through to Delenn and asks her to pick him up in a white star. Back on B5, Garibaldi sums up his fuck up. He surmises that the button came off of someone, not the Drazi, and the cul- and the culprit of the attacks who wanted to silence the pilot. Just then, Londo arrives, completely the fuck oblivious, and casually identifies the button as belonging to the Centauri Imperial Guard. This feels like a thing that, you know, they probably could have Googled. Or he says it's got, like, the crest of, an, of a Centauri Emperor on it, which feels like a thing that would be sig- sufficiently obvious that you would just look at it. I mean, it's like, it's a 2,000-year-old Centauri Emperor. Maybe it's one of those things that it's like, you really need to go to an expert, like, like, okay, I know people who do period costuming. They would be able to tell you shit that you would never be able to find on Wikipedia. Okay, I, counterpoint, who in that room has been fucked up by an Imperial Centauri guard at least one time? I don't think Jakar was staring at the bottom. I'm just though. saying... <laughs> I, I do not. He, he was, he, he was missing an eye. I'm just saying there has to be somebody. I do not believe that buttons are a particularly Fine. important. Okay. So let's put guard. aside Jakar. How do they not yeah, have Jakar, like. Jakar wears his coat open. How do they. Oh, okay. Fuck. I can't argue with that. Jakar's like titty you just flipped out. my argument like... over. Darns don't do buttons. Okay. <laughs> yes. but fine. How do they not have like, take a picture, put it through Google reverse image search. And go but from we've there. established that Babylon Five doesn't have the internet. At least, hate, like, not really. That. Yes, I know, but I, I just fine, whatever. Londo identifies it. If we were making B Five today, yes, that ruse would not work. And and the and the reason you have it is so that you can have the dramatics of oh, Londo recognizes it, but he doesn't rec- But they're not going to tell him where they found it yes. because they want to protect Londo. I mean, that's why you yeah, have it. Which is what happens drama. next. Garibaldi lies about where he got the button. The internet makes everything boring. That is the thing. The internet makes everything boring in plots. Garibaldi lies about where he got the button and the others follow his lead. In Casa Sheridan later, they ponder the implications of Londo's information. They figure Londo can't be directly involved. Uh, but he must have been leaking the information back to Homeworld in his reports, but he can't be brought in or else he'll be killed. Jakar tells him about the assassination attempts and says that if they t- if they bring Londo in, one of the two factions, the one that saved him or the one that tried to kill him, will kill him immediately. They decide to keep his information limited to protect him. In our B is for blessed Jakar plot, Londo and the aforementioned sexy lizard man arrive back on the station and are flirting their way through security. After a few good dunks by Jakar on Londo, the latter comments on how the Narns of the station are looking at and bowing to Jakar. When Jakar gets to his quarters, he finds the hall lined with Narns, bowing and muttering to him. And next to his door is is Sheridan's old fling, Talon, who is very pleased to see him. Honestly, who isn't happy to see Jakar? And who isn't happy to see Talon, too? Yeah, it's it's all good. It's all smiles and good times right now. Uh, Talon informs him that in addition to guarding shipments of food and supplies recently, he also helped transport something else recently, Jakar's book. While Jakar was on the Centauri homeworld, the Kari feared that he would be killed, so they, quote, liberated it from his quarters and made copies, which were then copied. And now there are five or six hundred thousand copies putting him on track to outsell the Book of Jakalon. Congrats on being a religious icon, Jakar. The next morning on the Zocalo, Londo finds the whole situation fucking hilarious. Even the fact that in the Book of Jakar, he's referred to as Prideful Windcatcher, which honestly is a much more eloquent nickname than he deserves. Later, when Talon goes to Jakar, who is hiding from his would-be disciples, he advises him to accept his new role as a religious figure. His sword, he says, is in his heart, just as Talon, and just as Talon has a duty to use his sword, so does Jakar. That duty, he says, is to teach the Narn a new way that is not simply to hate and to fight. For a dude with a sword, he's pretty eloquent. Uh, he convinces Jakar. We get a brief scene where Jakar is trying to teach his new students uh, that ends with him slamming a copy of the Book of Jakar on one's face. 
A plus teaching <laughs> methods right there. Last in our C is for crimes against medical ethics plot. Franklin gets a priority message while at dinner. Later in med lab, he narrates a personal log and says that he's come to a decision that and that he'll miss the place. He goes to Sheridan and we get the deets. He's been offered to take over as head of xenobiological research at Earth Dome from a trusted friend. The offer it provides him a chance to do the job Delenn offered him, but even better. Sheridan pouts a little bit, but says he respects the choice. Franklin tries to call his boyfriend to tell him of his decision, but Garibaldi is passed out in bed with yet another bottle of afterburner whiskey. And there's your episode. Please applaud at how succinct that summary was. I feel like I deserve at least a gold star. I'll give you the sound of one hand clapping. <laughs> but since since this is a uh, auditory medium, um, Jude responded with the sound of Bester catching somebody's thought in his hand. Yeah, that's what I was doing. Oh, um. So I, I have a, I have a question about the first thing though. So. <laughs> Jakar has outsold the Book of Jaquan. My man is getting royalties, correct? I would guess no. <laughs> I am deeply <laughs> troubled by this. They are they are printing and, and got, producing our boys' intellectual property. I got property. the sense that they were just like copying this thing and not really selling it. But yes, I do get the sense that Jakar is getting the shaft. They say the best-selling book. They yeah, say it's that, that's true. That's true. Jakar. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a messed up situation. Jakar definitely deserves some royalties. We don't have a joke lawyer for this show. I love show. everything um, about the idea of Jakar becoming an unwilling religious figure, uh, because it, he oh, it's he should be. His he's such a his arc from like vicious rebel leader to enlightened religious icon is the most satisfying. I struggled to think of a character arc in any TV show that is as satisfying and as well crafted. Yeah, we, we have shit on season five a lot and for good reason. But if there's one thing that season five has been good at is continuing out Jakar's arc, that all of that so far is very good. Yeah, and especially him and Londo's relationship. Yeah. Their banter as they get off, as they walk yeah, through that's... arrivals, where they're like dickering back and forth about, uh, you know, how Malari has no no morals and, you know, Jakar should leave the station more often so he'll be loved more is so fucking good. You can tell that these are two actors who are very good friends at this point and are very good at like bouncing off of each other. Yeah. And it's so fluid and so natural and it's just so good. I absolutely love these scenes with these two actors. I, I could watch them all day long. Yeah. I do have a question for my co-hosts about this episode. Ask away. We've acknowledged that uh, the internet makes TV not fun. So that is why there is no Narn version of Twitter. Yes. For Jakar to notice that he is trending on and to give away the plot. I choose to believe that Jakar wouldn't have a Twitter. Okay. I'm going to I'm I'm going to disagree with you only because we know how much time Jakar spends trolling for ass. Not even trolling for. It just comes to him. There's no way that Jakar doesn't have an an account with the DMs open so that people can slide into his DMs. He's on Instagram, please. <laughs> okay, fine. God damn it. I, I'm just getting cornered all episode here. Yes, he would be on Instagram then. Fine. Whatever. My question was, what is the Narn version of Twitter called? I put this question on, tw on the human version of Twitter earlier tonight, uh, and I got two very good answers. So what's the closest thing they have to a bird? Oh, darn. So the answers I got, if in case you're curious. So no, 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 no. I, I have a punchline for this. Centauri. <laughs> That's very funny. That's good. 
So it's going to be like Rivaler or something like that. Friend of the show, Richard, suggested that since they live in caves, it would be called Spore. (laughs) And other friend of the show, Scott, uh, suggested that all the messages would be pouch sized, Uh, which I thought was very good. (laughs) Nicely done, Scott. Oh well, if you if you said if you're like oh I'm gonna send a pouch, you call you, it's like um oh no it's like if they're if their pouch is like oh I'm gonna send you a pouchling. My point was only that it, the idea that he managed to be completely oblivious to his own ascension to a religious icon is so indicative of this show's place in time, specific place in time, that it it lives in a time when you could envision video calling and space travel and fucking data like portable data transfer on a goddamn unlabeled piece of crystal but not twitter <laughs> because if you when when he rewrites this episode in the future you can't do that like the idea that he would not notice like that he would not hear himself his his own name like trending as he swipes left and right on the Narn version of uh, whatever the, whatever the Narn version of a dating app is, is insane. Like it would be, you know, all of a sudden everybody he's swiping on has the like, you know, follower of Jakar hashtag. You know what I mean? Like it would be, it's just, it's just wild to me that like how much this one little thing places the show in time. Okay, but now I'm also thinking of like we do not I do not have the energy for Jakar stands, Jakar antis, and like oh, Jakar God. thirsters. <laughs> like all like all three of those coagulating in one space. I'm just like like I think it's me like I'm sort I, I refuse to acknowledge the possibility that there will be anti Jakar people. Oh, there's, there's, listen, if there's nothing else, it's, like, the fact that, like, I have enough people who do, like, deep fandom criticism that, like, there will always be antis for anything. What could you possibly object to about Jakar? I don't know. Well, he's done some problematic stuff in the past, and therefore he deserves to be canceled forever. Yeah, example. Like, for example, he did, he did want to plot a war of revenge. And and the Ragesh 3 incident. And had discussed genociding them. Yeah, but he's, it, but he's hot. <laughs> I don't have anything on that. You sweet summer child. Um. Anyway, uh, what uh, else? Okay, I do want to talk about something with the Drazi Hope yeah. world. It gives me serious Raiders of the Lost Ark vibes. Yeah, I like that Tafik has like a moment where he explains why yeah. it looks so fucking weird. That was actually yeah. a really interesting little thing, but also it has such JMS voice. Like, I like that he's gotten so far in the show where he's getting, he's like putting his rebuttal <laughs> to the dorks on Usenet in the episode now. Now he's actually and putting he just, it in the episode. So he's like, all right, dickheads, I'm going to actually like put it in the show so it's canon so I don't have to fucking hear about why the streets are so narrow on Usenet in two <laughs> weeks. Shut up. That that hotel room is honestly awesome. Uh, like uh, it's it's a yeah. nice hotel room. Yeah. I like it. It's a big ass balcony. I would I would stay at a hotel that was like if it was like if it depending on where it was situated. Like I mean there there are a number of cities that it's like if it was a hotel that was like like a, a fairly modest room, but like an oversized balcony, that'd be fun. Yeah. You make the building terrace so all the balconies stick out and don't have another balcony directly above them. Yeah. Also, the other thing I want to talk about that hotel room, drowsy beds have shit frames. <laughs> like, just like, like that is like wrestling table level of quality uh, fragile. I mean... Like Garibaldi gets mildly tossed in that direction, and that bed <laughs> shatters. Which is surprising because Drazi are, are robust looking people. Yeah. And like, seriously? Like Drazi are gonna be fucking on that thing. That's gotta be sturdy. I like the note that uh Garibaldi could tell he wasn't fighting he wasn't fighting the Drazi 
in the street because it hurts more to punch Drazi <laughs> than it does to punch whatever was there. I like the implication that Garibaldi has fought so many people in his life that he knows what it's like to punch a Drazi yeah. versus other things. What scum. I would also like to point out the thing in this episode that I hated the most by a pretty wide margin was the precision light signal, which is a fucking laser pointer. <laughs> I mean, I love it. No, I love I, it. Oh my God. As soon it. as the laser pointer showed up on his shirt, I, I almost, almost threw the laptop out of my, out of my lap. I was so angry about it. Do you want to know, do you know what I did? So I'm listening, I'm listening on this head. I'm watching this on headphones. It's late at night. It, it's not that late at night, but I shout, get down, Mr. President. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. oh god i was so irritated i was so irritated i was just like it's a laser pointer really that's your precision signaling light it's a goddamn laser pointer oh so god i Not love even, it like a good green it. one like the fan it's just like it's some it's like it's what, like what you get that's, at oh. like petco to play with the cat yeah exactly uh, or what you get at say the sharper image <laughs> <laughs> where all of B5's the ball science yeah, store. where all of B5's uh, set dressing comes from. Listeners, there's a rhythm dart jokes. All of these jokes have happened before. <laughs> all of these jokes will happen again. Is that a hint? Is that the next show we're we're, we're doing? I don't know. You, you listen back at episode fifty and find out. <laughs> I I have a piece of set dressing that I really like from uh, this. Um, the what's up? We once okay. again have Sheridan having a big bowl of oranges in his in his room, which, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, which is nice, nice callback. Yeah, I like that. I similarly really like that. I don't know. Do I like <laughs> it or do I hate it? The fact that Garibaldi drinks after Burner brand whiskey is, uh, I want, I. L- I feel like it's in keeping with his character that he drinks what has to be the worst, like the Mister, Ke- like the Safeway Rancid. brand ver- uh, of of Babylon. No, 5. this is this is what you get. This is what you get at a at a liquor store that is the one that is like walking distance by your house. You don't remember that if if it actually has a name. It's just the one that, like yeah. you know, the metal grate stays up the longest. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's take a second. We probably should have put a content warning on this episode. We're, we're going to discuss the alcoholism yeah. here. I don't know. It's one of those things. It's like I find it very hard to care, I, I, which is like really like that sucks because it's just like we've only got like ten episodes left in the season. Yeah, and I don't know how this is going to resolve if at all. Yeah, I, what frustrates me is I don't hate the way it's being done either. No. I like, I think of, of all the things that were going to break Garibaldi, that would have been the one to do it. Like, I think the way that it's being executed is okay in theory, but the... But it's, it's pinned on an awful character. The way they've built up to it is good. But yeah, it's a character that you have no sympathy for. And then the way that they're showing it of him just like waking up next to an empty bottle is is really heavy handed. This is one of those times when... Uh, JMS's famous teetotaling is, is sort of visible um, because it's like speaking of someone who's relapsed a couple times it's not how it works that's not I know everybody has a different experience I'm not trying to say my experience is, is universal but it just reads as very like cliche TV and uh, lacking nuance and that's not I, JMS has generally been a little more subtle about how he's depicted these things so it was kind of a bummer particularly i felt like it was a lot better handled with franklin um yeah where yeah there seemed to be a lot more internal turmoil there go figure garibaldi has no soul yeah yeah like it just seems to be like he knows that he'll get into trouble if he admits it with other people but he he doesn't seem to give a shit either. He hesitates for like an eighth of a second with Tafik, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me put it this way. Uh, I feel like I should care more about this plot 
especially given my personal experience with these things. And I just don't. And that's whether that's pinned down to Garibaldi being the worst or the fact that the storyline's not well, not particularly well executed yet. I don't know mm-hmm. entirely, but I don't like it. I, I'm not loving it. And it's a bummer that that's the case. So I have a question just like on a much funnier note. Yeah. Hit me. So when Talon pulled his mom ninja sword, when he when he pulled his mall katana, yeah. did he did he cut himself? Yep. To he, did. he did. I watched for it. it. Okay, okay. I was like, I was like, I remember him like do it, like like holding it. But I'm like, did he? Yeah, do that? right at the end. Like, before, <laughs> because it's the dude. It's the fucking dude. You must spill the blame for or yeah. Shiva. He does right as oh, the, as uh, right as Jakar is is going out to talk to his his followers. He does the er, the little jerk of the blade to to cut himself. It's great. Okay. I couldn't remember because it's been a week since I watched it. I really love their interactions. I love Jakar. I love Talon. I love that Franklin's yeah. leaving B5. <laughs> yeah, and he's and he's moving away from clinical work. I like that he's getting that he's getting like the his dream job. That's cool. He's doing like the one, he's doing like, the one thing he's got. Like, okay. He has been the most effective person at his job the last five years. I want you to think about that. I'm look at uh, listen, listen. Consistently, look at what Sheridan's doing now. Fair enough. Look at what Garibaldi is. The only reason that Susan Ivanova is not here is that she is not in season five. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so the one thing, the last episode related thing I want to talk about, while looking up season five related stuff. Uh, I stumbled across the B5 subreddit, which I generally try and avoid because it's, I don't know, it's actually not a bad subreddit. The people there are friendly enough. But there is a widely believed theory, apparently, about season five that JMS was using it to set up more B5 stuff like movies and additional TV shows, such as Crusade, I guess. So I'm curious what you guys think of that particular theory, whether you think that holds water or whether you think that's sort of fan wank. Two big thumbs down from me. I think it's plausible because it's But like, he's absolutely writing by the seat of his pants. Yeah, he is. But it really feels like that he's just trying to like put stuff out there that is not going to have any like payoff in this series. I'll be interested to see the last ha- the last 10 episodes. I have to say I don't see him stacking anything up in this in these in these first 12 episodes. I just see him yeah, dicking around because he said he, he it was a five episode or it was a five season arc and now he's got his fifth season and he doesn't know what to do with it yeah because he wrapped it all up in four i don't see him like building to anything but maybe he gets halfway through and he's like well maybe i could do something here and him start to like actually start to do something with the season but for for the for these 12 episodes we've gotten like two maybe three episodes worth of moments that are are were I mean, worth if, putting on I mean if the telepaths had gone and made their colony then that that or if we had gotten like this telepath war yeah but like that whole thing just yeah. like the arc is ended it's done like nothing nothing yeah. happened like if we had if we kind of left that on a note of like, you know, them actually having the colony started or something like that, then that would be something that you could pick up. But you can't pick it up from where it is other than like Lita rebuilding it from scratch or something. Um, we'll see how we'll see how this theory <laughs> holds up in 10 episodes. Just as a note, that was not the telepath war. No, it wasn't, but it it could be building up to a telepath war. Yeah. yeah. A telepath w- war would have been a lot more interesting. Okay. So so I I just really hope that Jakar had a chance to hide all of his lingerie before all those people barged into his room <laughs> because like you know, that's you know, great especially especially he's been away for a while and like I can't believe that his room is that clean and that he's willing to have all of those people just barge in on zero notice. It, it, this is my nightmare. Like, what happened? What is happening to Jakar's apartment is my nightmare. Yeah. My other note here is the the scene with Sheridan and Franklin, where Franklin tells him that he's taking the other position back on Earth. I 
hate it, and I don't hate it because of Franklin. Mm-hmm. I hate it because Sheridan is just like his whole like, oh no, I'll miss you, and it won't be the same around here. Like he isn't planning to fucking move to Mimbar really soon. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like he's like, oh no, you're gonna be leaving Bev Babylon Five, like I am. John Sheridan. <laughs> is the middle manager who's like, oh, you can't leave. We're a family here at, like, your shitty job in retail. Yeah. Sorry. Who, who meanwhile... Uh, Karen, my my manager at Kinko's, like... And meanwhile, that middle manager is has already put in their two-week notice. God, what a fall from grace Sheridan has had I this know. season. Jesus. I, I'm like, I want to just choose to believe that, like... No. Okay, is it just that Sheridan is weird since he came back from the dead? Justin. Was Garibaldi right? Justin. No, I he came back wrong. Garibaldi was right, hashtag. No, I have a I have an alternate theory. I have an alternate theory. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. He's experiencing male- a, a spiritual malaise brought on by the fact that he won and there's no one left to commit war crimes against. I- of a government there's an entire galaxy he could do it to yeah but he created the cia literally day one yeah but it, he's he's the leader of a benevolent government that doesn't do that listen listen i'm a citizen of the united states we do this all the time yeah but you don't have delen there to you, you like literally put check you garibaldi who is the only person let more qualified or less qualified to do war crimes than hank fucking mccoy <laughs> Like, <laughs> oh god, it's true. <laughs> Fuck Hank McCoy. God damn, I hate the beast. Benjamin Percy, I, I originally ragged in your X Force arc. Love you. Hearts. Uh, in closing, uh, hey, I know that face. Your guy to '90s bit sci-fi actors. Mirren E. Willis plays the human smuggler Branigan. He is on screen for like, I don't know. 12 seconds in this episode, maybe 30 all told. Uh, he played a, an unnamed Klingon on TNG <laughs> as well as Reddick on Voyager. I don't know who Reddick is, but he was apparently notable enough to get a, an entry on, um, the, the Star Trek wiki memory alpha bedangles. Okay. I'm looking up this dude now. Um, he was a Kazon. There you go. <laughs> he also voiced Harris in the Cowboy Bebop movie. I don't know who that is, but, you know, topical. He was in Independence Day as an extra. He was a presidential aide. Yep. Like, that that's the more important one, is that he was in, he was in Independence Day. Um, okay. Um, do I have anything else in my notes here that I want to talk about? All told, I think my summary for this episode is Jakar good. Garibaldi sucks. Honestly, I, I knew that season five was going to be a rough ride, but I'm just really, really ready for, for season five to be over. So we can, we can watch a show I enjoy again. I hate that. I hate that that's where I'm at, but like, I just want to watch a show that I enjoy. Uh, well, with nothing further to talk about, uh, other than some stuff that got cut, <laughs> uh, uh, join us next time. We're going to be covering season five, episode 13, The Core is Mother, The Core is Father, and we are going to be having a special guest. So until next time, be seeing you. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license. Uh, for a little uh, pre 
a pre-episode treat for you guys. I have something extremely cursed to share. Oh, no. Are you ready for this? What the fuck? <laughs> mm-hmm. King size. Yes, I've been recording, of course. Uh, this is a king size Fruity Pebbles candy bar. Uh, to be clear, to be clear, yeah. there was no regular size. It only comes in king size. Meanwhile, I, I have new stickers. Friend of Garrick. Nice. Uh, I am fascinated by... Oh, it looks bad. Excellent. Okay, you know how when you leave a bowl of Fruity Pebbles on the sink all day and you come back to it and there's that like residue on the inside of the bowl that is like cold milk and ossified Fruity Pebble? Actually, no, I've never had Fruity Pebbles in my life. Well, then this experience, this is lost on you. This this The horror and this whole experience is a complete waste on you. I'm sorry. Uh, please tell me, Justin, that you at least know what this is. What the fuck? Well, okay. Ma- way to make me feel like a fucking... I had to, I had to start recording so I could say what the fuck. I had them last week. So... <laughs> oh, man. Justin. Ooh, I like that way It's like a solid brick of white chocolate with... Fruity pebbles just, there was just like things. embedded in it. Oh, it's great. Now, oh wow, what the fuck? It tastes like somebody condensed a bowl of fruity pebbles, so they were successful there, but then lightly spritzed it with some form of weed killer. It has a a a, a faint a, a hint. Just a hint of the most powerful chemical taste 